Welcome to the Livecast Construction Experience Podcast. I'm Kieran Brennan, co-founder of Livecast.com. Finally, the construction sector has entered its digital transformation, meaning the way we operate our projects and businesses day to day is being disrupted. This podcast is designed to help you in all areas of your business. We do this by bringing in experts across all key areas of a construction business who share their stories, their challenges, wins and losses so others can learn from their experiences. To watch previous episodes, please visit livecast.com or search livecast.com across all popular social platforms. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Livecast Construction Experience. Delighted this week to be joined by Vince Versace, who is the National Managing Editor of the Daily Commercial News and the Journal of Commerce, Canada's leading construction industry newspaper. Vince is also the co-host of the award-winning Construction Report podcast. Vince, thank you for joining us today. You're very welcome to the Live Cards Construction Experience. How are you? Very good, Kieran, and uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I've uh, been looking forward to this chat with you, for sure, to talk all things construction. Excellent. Now, we appreciate you putting your time in. Uh, it's just great to have the tools like Zoom to be able to do this, um, <laughs> speak to people around the world, so we're, we're, we're enjoying it. Um, look, right. Love to start off a bit about your background, Vince. So what is your background and your relationship with the construction industry? Yeah, sure. Uh, trained journalist, uh, 22 years now. Uh, so I've worked in the commercial media here in Canada for a couple of uh, Canada's biggest dailies here in Toronto. Um, my connection to construction, as we were talking about in our green room chat, we can call it the, the pre-podcast chat. Uh, uh, my dad, when he came, when he immigrated from Italy to Canada, that he was a professional uh, carpenter. You know, he, he was a master carpenter by designation. Started a home building. Uh, company here once he got his feet underneath him in Canada. So like I tell some of, uh, as I was, it's been 13 years I've been here at the Daily Commercial News and those early days, you know, construction guys are rough and tumble. They can be pretty skeptical, right, about what do you know about the industry. And, um, and I used to tell them these stories. It's like I used to do things as a kid on my dad's work sites that would make an uh, occupational health and safety inspector faint in their boots <laughs> now, right? And I was like the little site rat that was delivering lunches roof to roof and climbing up ladders and delivering coffees. And uh, and it's kind of neat. So my connection with the industry starts from that. Uh, it, I, it fed me. It fed my family. It got me to go to journalism school. My dad decided he didn't want me to go into a trade. He wanted me to use my hands another way. The, the typical kind of immigrant story, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the kind of the, the serendipity, I guess, with the Daily Commercial News in particular, though I'm responsible also for the Journal of Commerce based in British Columbia and our construction record is uh, once I decided to jump into the B2B sphere. Um, so I tell my dad, it's like, yeah, I'm coming back to Toronto because I was working abroad a bit. And I was like, I applied for this job at this Daily Commercial News. It doesn't say anything. I get the job. About two weeks later, he's like, can I see that newspaper that, that you're working for now? And I'm like, well, here, here it is. And uh, sure enough, my dad sits there. He's like, you're not going to believe this. But this was the paper up in the, in the lunch trailer. You know what I mean? This was the paper that, you know, first when he was working for someone, then working for himself. He's like, this is where I would get the project data from, the project intel for and quite frankly, he's, like, he's flooded me with these memories of his work crew gathering for these big Italian dinners at the end of the day at our house. And he's like, if you remember, he's like, this is one of the publications that helped us learn how to speak English, yeah. our team, because there was the editorial side too, right? And I thought, well, look at that. After all this time, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. actually now responsible for the paper that helped actually start that process of feeding my family, <laughs> you know, yeah. through my dad's work in construction. 
So, for our listener base that, that, that they might not know, I mean, what, sure. what, is, what is the Daily Commercial News and suppose what is your role in there? Sure. Uh, so, the Daily Commercial News has been in publication since uh, 1927. So, it's a heritage uh, newspaper uh, here in Canada. It is the, not just because I'm responsible for it. People in the industry would tell you it's the Bible of the industry. Uh, since 1927, it's a newspaper that provides uh, project intel, project um, uh, data, uh, like uh, tenders. If there's tenders, uh, request for proposals. If the industry needs to find out what's getting built or who's involved, since 1927, they've been subscribing to the daily commercial news. And there was always kind of the editorial component, the stories about associations and trends and policy. And uh, so it's been doing that since 1927. And we have our sister publication in BC, the Journal of Commerce, that I'm responsible for as well. Uh, that one's uh, been in uh, publication for 109 years. So between the two papers, you're looking at over 200 years of covering construction in Canada, both the same way. They were both separate. They weren't, uh, the, they only came together under the same umbrella six years ago, the two papers. We decided to kind of create this cohesive package of editorial and project data and project analysis and economic forecasting for the industry. Right. So my role with that is I'm on the editorial side, not on the business side, though I'm familiar with the processes around you know, the, the project data and tenders and all that. And our, especially our software that we're bringing to markets to help small to medium contractors really excel. Uh, but I'm responsible for the news, the daily commercial news when it was still in print. That was one of the changes that happened right now with the pandemic. It sped up our cycle around taking it out of print by a year. Um, it was being printed every day. You know, providing editorial news. So my responsible my responsibilities have my journal, my staff find stories, tell the stories of the industry. You know, we treat it like a community. Yeah. And the same thing with the Journal of Commerce. And what's the relationship then, Vince, between that and Construct Connect? So Construct Connect is our parent company that resulted uh, from a merger of four leading project data companies in North America. So it was kind of our third, I've been here 13 years. That was the third merger because the value was always there. With every merger you saw, these little different parts of the industry were kind of coalescing to, be, to provide better project in home project data. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're the only, we were, uh, before that, we were called CMD Group. We were based out of Atlanta. That was our head office. We had our Canadian operations separate. Uh, we were the only ones that have a journalistic side, a, pub, a publication side, the Canadian side of the business. So no matter who we merged with, we were always kind of the one that was a little different, the hybrid that had the project data, the project information, plus editorial. Uh, so Construct Connect was as a result of the most recent merger. And uh, it's really taken off because each of the four players that came together provides a different, provided individually a different service to a contractor or a sub-trade or an owner in the construction cycle. And now we combine the four. We were four of the five leading ones in North America to provide to create construct connect we kind of have um i guess like our belief our elevator pitch is we're the one place you know we want want to be the one place that if you're going to build you're going to connect with the people you need to build properly efficiently smartly and uh the bonus is you get all this great editorial <laughs> as yeah, well right yeah. on top of all that else that oh those other little tidbits you know and with you with live costs uh for some of my listeners that may not be uh familiar um could you tell them a little bit more about yours yeah, Company. sure. I mean, so the live cost comes from a um, way we best describe live costs is uh, we scratch our own itch. I mean, myself <laughs> and my, my brother had a, had our own contract and um, 
company in Australia and uh, we had issues, I suppose, understanding. I mean, we were definitely on the small, smaller side, and but we had issues understanding where we made money. So, I mean, we could look into the bank account and we could say, oh, that, that looks okay. Um, let's keep moving. Um, mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. tracking of, of projects was, we relied so heavily on Excel and accounting softwares. And, the, you know, the mm-hmm. problem with Excel, and first of all, it doesn't move. It's open to manual uh, manual mm-hmm. error and it requires me going in there every the end of each day or, or week to, to populate information but by the time I put it in it's, it's probably probably gone anyway the data has changed since the time I gathered it the time I put it in so we really struggled with, with that Vince to be honest and we, we didn't we went looking for products that might be able to fix that for us and the closest we found were accounting packages but the accounting packages had been built for your butcher baker candlestick maker and they didn't have a focus so mm-hmm. our, I suppose, solution to that was, why don't we build it ourselves? And we built mm-hmm. a piece of technology for, you know, to manage some costs in our own company. I mean, when I say technology, I use that very loosely. At the start, we right. literally decided to take Excel and build on top of it. And just keep building, 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 building to a point where we said, um, other companies start to look at what we're doing, you know, we're interested in what we're doing. And we essentially sold that business and decided that it was time to commercialize what we what we were doing because it was um, a real problem for the industry. There wasn't much software that could plug into an accounting software um, and fix the bits that they miss, I suppose, is the best way to put it. So that, that's what mm-hmm. Lightcast does. It's essentially a live feed of project data uh, that you can view in. And the way we best describe that is um, a lot of contractors and companies we deal with what we would ask them a question and say would you drive your car your truck without a dashboard and mm-hmm. the answer is generally no and we would ask the follow-on question to say why would you drive your project without any type of dashboard and that's what mm-hmm. we feel like they're doing they're driving projects without any sight of visibility about which way that project's actually going and that's what we do we just give them that visibility give them that comfort um, that they know exactly where they stand. They know exactly where they win money, lose money, mm-hmm. where they can make improvements, where they can just do better. Um, and that's it. And it's it's really not that complicated. Right. I find with us, um, we have, I don't know if you have competitors in your market. I'm not talking necessarily about the editorial side, but um, you know, we'll have people that come in as software as a solution solutions, right? <laughs> Saying that they, they do what our, our company can do and they can do it better. Uh, the one thing we find and the one thing we're confident in is every stakeholder that's built Construct Connect, and I know I'm sounding very corporate, but this is the truth. I've been here long enough to see it. It's We live and breathe construction. It doesn't matter It doesn't matter which part of that entity that came together to create Construct Connect, that individual entity lived and breathed construction, understood the needs, just like you identified a need for improvement and efficiency, and each one does that. So that's, that's what I always find impressive about us for what it's worth. I'll say it that way. Like we, it's not just hyperbole. We actually speak the language of the industry, you know, and, uh, and it's reflected in the products that we provide around prognostication tools, analysis tools, uh, connection tools, like building an actual individual network for people to talk. And um, I find yeah, that's a benefit. You know, it's not like somebody that just deals with toilet paper and pencils, <laughs> you know, that's coming in with the solution, yeah, we, you know, as the innovative solution. It's actually, no, we're from the industry, built for the industry. We're right? seeing that a, a lot. I mean, you know, you're saying you guys have been 
I was knocking around since 1927, I think, I think you mentioned, which is a long time. There's a long time to be embedded into an industry. There's a, a lot of technology companies spotting opportunity in construction and what we say moving back into construction and I feel overcomplicated. Right. And where I think construction tech companies are winning and I think where we're having some success early on is we come from a, from a construction up point of view where technology is just what we're using to solve the problem. We're not looking at technology and saying that's a really, really cool piece of technology. We should push that into construction. They, right. they, they'll use that. <laughs> but when yeah. we look at it the opposite way and we say, actually, what's the problem here? Let's map the problem out. Is there a technology out there that could potentially speed that or, or fix that process or make that process something simpler? I feel that the, the, the win will be when more construction professionals step into technology. I think this whole transformation is just going to speed up and we're going to take it off like a rocket, really, because we are behind. There's no question. Right. Well, I know. And uh, as we were chatting, and, um, it seems, I know you were talking about our recent during our green room chat for our listeners. We were talking about one of our recent podcasts, which was on the daily, on the, the construction record side. That was our industry innovations podcast. Yeah, that's exactly the the what I wanted to explore because it's a bit of an arc. We're going to have a second part as well. I wanted to talk to the folks that actually bring in the the innovation to construction and for them to share their lessons learned. You know what I mean? Because we see so much of it. You've seen it and I've seen it too, where people think they can come in and uberfy and just change construction without the context. Mm. And then that's where the issues uh, develop, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there was that podcast that you mentioned there is, is one that I've listened to, uh, belong to you guys. Um, mm. Barry LePartner, Le I'm hoping I'm pronouncing yep. that right, yep. um, described on that particular episode how he felt today was the perfect time for small and medium construction companies to reset how they do business with a thought was very, very interesting. I suppose, mm -hmm. in your opinion, do you think COVID has changed the way smaller companies will view technology? I think so. And I think it comes out of necessity because uh, everything kind of got blown up. Uh, with here, when COVID hit, when it really took root and governments started to respond, uh, in Canada in particular, two jurisdictions, uh, the one we're in, Ontario, the province of Ontario, and the province of Quebec, shut down a good chunk of the industry to try to figure out how to do things safely. Um, in that, when you look at the demographics of the industry of about 75% to 78% of the Canadian construction and even U.S. construction is one to 20 people. So we're talking about those small firms. And what we saw just as far as interaction with the industry was that we had a lot more questions from smaller, uh, small to medium mom and pop shops asking questions about, you know, how can I, figure out how to get better project data. How do I make my projects more efficient? We saw these questions being moved up through their respective associations. Uh, people all of a sudden want to need, realize there's this monster constraint that's come out of nowhere that we've never experienced in a lifetime, in, in a hundred years. What was, your, what was your reaction, Vince? I mean, you, you guys have a, I suppose, a responsibility, you can call it, for mm -hmm. I know, on a real platform to get news out there quickly. Um, mm -hmm. which people and the industries, I know from our own customer base, people just couldn't figure out what was going on, mm -hmm. what they needed to do next. I mean, what was your approach there? Do you remember like a point in time where you had to stop and say, what are we going to do and how are we going to approach this COVID situation? Oh, completely. Like uh, completely. And it's actually tied to this podcast because um, we mobilized our company, credits to our leadership and the leadership team. Like March 14th, we all mobilized and sent everybody home, all our staff 
we're going to work from home. And that's really when we started to see everything that had happened in Europe was coming over and we're like, okay, this could get ugly. So let's protect our people first. So that starts to feed into your question because this podcast, we were supposed to go to Con, uh, Con Expo in Las Vegas, the big North. We were one of the supporting podcasts for the show, a great feather in our cap. Mm-hmm. And we were so proud as a Canadian podcast to be one of the supporting podcasts of this massive show, one of the biggest construction ones in Canada. But when we weighed the, our personal, like for myself and Warren Fry, my co-host, we were like, you know, where, what are we doing by going there, right? Like, is it worth the risk? Because this seems like a big unknown coming our way. And having been being of Italian descent, I saw what happened in 10 days in northern Italy. You know what I mean? That healthcare system got brought to its knees in a well-developed part of Europe, you know, not just Italy. So uh, we had to make a decision right away. For us, it was like, this is really serious. We're not going to expose ourselves in Las Vegas as much as this hurts because Con Expo doesn't happen every year. It's like, this is a feather in our cap, but it's not worth the risk. So Kieran, we started to use that a lot in our thinking. It's like, well, if we're thinking this, what's happening on the sites? What are these construction guys? Generally, safety, well, generally, safety is always paramount, no matter most of the jurisdictions in, in the world when it comes to construction, right? And we're, that's the, the basis of which we used how we were going to attack the news to share it. It's like, how are construction sites going to be safe? Are they going to be shut down? Are they going to be modified? And how do we cut through the bull that's out there on the internet? You know what I mean? We have, you know, people like to use the term fake news and you see it a lot, but well, we're responsible for the real news. So my team and I, that's how we mobilized. We were like, we're going to find the best solid science and interviews. We're going to do a lot more due diligence on any facts that we get because we want to provide the best information possible in a very malleable situation. Like it was changing day to day. And uh, so that was, that's what kind of drove us. You know what I mean? It's just like be transparent and be as accurate. We always want to be accurate, but be as accurate as possible because people's livelihoods and their lives are depending on this information. What's, what's the current COVID situation then in, in, in Canada? Well, it's funny you mention it. Uh, we just had our worst day here in Ontario yesterday. Um, 700 case for us, our numbers, we had 700 cases reported. That's the most we've experienced since the start of it. So our curve, which we had flattened really well, most jurisdictions in Canada, uh, on, Quebec has really wrestled with it. And they were the first one to actually to shut down all their construction because their cases just exploded. And right now, again, their cases have exploded again. Yesterday, Quebec uh, decided to put three of their major cities and regional areas in the, it's called the Code Red, where they're reinstituting a lot of restrictions around restaurants, bars, theaters, uh, gatherings, no, you're, no, no private gatherings beyond just your family are allowed. Ontario's taking a bit of a different approach because we're at 700, about 35 cases behind Quebec. We're still kind of hoping to rely on people's good behavior, it seems like, with every number. But I'll tell you here, in the last five days have been eye-opening for us because we had really flattened that curve that everybody talks about. Mm-hmm. And we've been seeing the cases climb to you know 200, then to 300, then to 400, 500. When the number dropped yesterday, 700, it really froze uh, quite a few of us in our tracks because we're not used to those numbers. Yeah. You know, uh, they're, pr- they're projecting by mid-October to be at about 1,000 to 2,000 cases if this keeps up, if we don't settle down and focus. How about there? Yeah, uh, it's similar, actually, very similar that we, in, in Dublin, um, so, I mean, Ireland's a small country, but we're, 
the government are doing everything not to just lock down the full country because mm. our economy can't survive that again. Um, so construction, when it got locked down initially, was completely locked down by our essential services. Um, so essential service work were allowed to keep going. This time mm-hmm. they're looking at it regionally. So Dublin had a, had a spike here in the last sort of four weeks. So they've put Dublin on what, what we're calling a phase three, which is similar to, to what you're describing yeah. there. You know, mm-hmm. limits work from home where possible. Uh, limit social gatherings, all that type of stuff. Um, but it doesn't look too good coming in to the winter, to, to, to be honest. Um, I mean, has government done anything there in terms of supports to deal with, you know, inevitable project delays or cost overruns or is there anything coming down for you guys? See, that's the interesting thing. Just as we, we call it, if you heard it maybe on the podcast, Russ, Warren and I would talk about it, it's like the new normal. Kind of, we saw this arc, this trajectory and all of a sudden, we started talking about like, okay, so this is the current state of business. And part of that, we're starting to see associations and big, our biggest players lobbying government for supports, for help to, to bridge that gap, that major loss that happened between March and July, let's say. So in governments, you know, here in Canada, you know, like our healthcare is free. We pay for it in the end with our taxes and it's proven you know, to help us out through this. And uh, we had the running joke that our prime minister at one point, it felt like every day he was throwing money outside of helicopters <laughs> from a helicopter, right? Because every day there was a new support being announced for every segment of Canadian life. Mm-hmm. So there was a sense of security that, okay, they're trying to keep the machine going, even though they're spending a lot of money and printing more of it, it's to keep people employed. So some of the supports uh, in particular, like there's one, uh, there was a subsidy that the government created for companies if they were losing um, more than 40% of their business. So instead of shutting down or furloughing their, their staff, they could apply for the subsidy so they could keep their businesses running fully maintained with the full number of staff. So that wasn't just a construction solution, but it helped construction companies. Some of them. Interesting, because um, that's that's a complete replica of, of, of our own subsidy. We yeah, we, yeah, we had an exact replica of that uh, way subsidy where pretty much mm-hmm. everybody could just apply in and sort of bridge the gap, I suppose. Bridge that's the mm-hmm. best way to, to, to put it. And I mean, a lot of the talk with our companies here is without that, mm-hmm. we would have seen a big, big uh, increase in uh, unemployment. And, like we just wouldn't have been able to cut the wages. Yeah, like the unemployment numbers were staggering considering all the help and provincially the jurisdictions because uh, healthcare is a provincial responsibility here in Canada. So the three biggest are area provinces are Ontario, Quebec, and BC, which happen to be the three biggest construction markets. BC were the first to deal with COVID and really flattened the curve early. So we didn't see a lot of major job losses or project impacts there. Uh, but in Ontario and Quebec, there were some significant job losses. Like Quebec lost about 109,000 construction jobs when everything started to shut down. When they shut everything down to try getting control, about 109,000 jobs were lost. And in Ontario, it was around just under 94,000 construction jobs lost. Now, the interesting thing is the peak was, as everything was coming back to the new normal, we saw a clawback of that of about 61%. About 61% of those jobs came back in those two jurisdictions. And here we are in the second wave, essentially the leaders of both Ontario and Quebec yesterday admitting that we're in the second wave now. And the second wave, I don't know how it's been there with Ireland. Like we had a lot of consternation and thought here around schools. What do we do? I know in my household, we had the same thought, like, are we going to send our child back to school considering the vulnerable people in our family that are immune, 
immune compromised. Mm. And a lot of people dealt with that question. So here we are in the second wave. We're seeing numbers already come up. We've thrown kids back into school. And we're almost waiting like for the next bomb to go off in the middle of this wave. As our premier said yesterday, is it going to be a tsunami or a wave? It's up to the public to decide what to do. And construction right now isn't necessarily worried about the shutdown because for what it's worth, uh, we haven't reported here in Ontario any COVID-related uh, illness from a construction site. Yeah. You know, uh, we saw some outbreaks of COVID in some of the energy construction projects in Alberta. And those are interesting because they're very, um, and I don't mean transient in a negative way, those, those resource projects attract a lot of people from across Canada. So the few outbreaks that happened, the two, you know, you had these workers going back home to other jurisdictions and bringing COVID with them. Hmm. And, but we didn't see any major outbreaks resulting from that. So we feel like the whole industry kind of dodged a bullet a little bit the first yeah. time around. So how about there? The, was there anything related to, to sites themselves? Like, um, um, yeah, I mean, there was major challenges around um, just implementing the right health and safety procedures. And I mean, one of the biggest things was trying to implement social distancing on, the, on, the, on a construction job site. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a difficult challenge. Um, I mean, there's just elements of work where you just need two people. And, right. you know, there's been stuff, I've heard of stuff being where you, you buddy up, essentially, with, you know, you work with mm. the same guy each and every day. You try and limit the contact between your buddy, I suppose, and other other sort of pairs on the side. It's mm. difficult. I mean, I, I don't, I really don't envy the task of, we, ha- we have a, a, a COVID-19 compliance officer that must be on all job sites here. So mm-hmm. each site got to have your, your COVID-19 compliance officer um, but I mean, it's a difficult task. It really is. It really is. Right. I mean, how can we implement social distancing on, on, on job sites? I mean, there's just going to be certain tasks that you just can't do it. Yeah. And that's the challenge we saw with, especially uh, with Toronto, you know, you, depending on who's stat, which stat pack you look at, you always hear Toronto has the most cranes up in the world right now, as far as construction sites, we have 94 cranes up. And I bring that up is because one of the initial impacts we saw of COVID on these work sites were these, and some of the workers were reaching out to us, you know, letting us know. It's like the lineup for the elevators to get up, to go yeah. do work at, on the 20th story, the 30th story. Some of these folks to maintain their COVID rules, to, to, uh, to, to comply with the COVID rules, were waiting up to half an hour at times because they could only allow three to four people yeah. on the elevator. Whereas, as you know, before, you pack in 12 guys and go up. Right. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, instituting, it's, it's, yeah, go ahead. Oh, it, it's so hard because we, we, we do quite a lot with the, you know, the home builders and, you know, the developers and stuff. And, you know, the fact you can only have maybe one trade in a house at a time to max mm-hmm. certain, certain situations. If you think about what impact that has on productivity and right. what the overrun is going to be on that project, it's absolutely inevitable that we're going to overrun now on that project because of the mm-hmm. timeframes. Um, who pays for that? I mean, who, yeah. at the end of the day, somebody needs to, someone's lost there. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I do worry about that, that element of it, that, you know, somebody's lost big here. Um, right. And I hope that as an industry, we work together on, on them particular types of losses and can come together and figure that out rather than this becoming a lot of legal mess at, at, at right. the back end of projects. Yeah, that takes us back to your question when you asked me about Barry talking, and uh, that's essentially it. It's the, the fear of, hey, who's going to pay for these delays? Can we make these more efficient, even though we're a small firm? 
you know, how do I get my crew to work efficiently so that I don't end up having to, you know what I mean, to possibly shut down, even though the project may close successfully, right? And I think that's what Barry and some of our other guests on the innovation stuff were talking about is now is the time for what's worth to even just a little bit nudge the innovation just a little bit, you know, to find some kind of efficiency or technology or software or just mode of operation. You know what I mean? Innovation isn't just about creating a website and throwing up a bunch of PDFs about your company, right? Yeah, I mean, Barry's, Barry's point was that, you know, yeah. he, he felt that it, it was a perfect time for small to medium companies to, yeah. his words were, to reset um, yeah. how they do business, which I found really, really int- interesting. Mm-hmm. When you look at construction technology, it's generally what I'd say a top-heavy technology right. industry, whereby a lot of the tier one companies have great technology available to yeah. them. So what, what can we do as a construction industry, do you think, to ensure that, say, 1 to 10 million revenue companies are brought along on the digital transformation, mm-hmm. that we don't just leave it to these big companies to go and drive forward and leave our smaller guys behind? I think, God, I'm going to straddle, because it is always church and state as a journalist, but I look at what our company does. I think as a provider to the industry of a service, we're one of those things that this industry needs. It's us or people like us that are keeping in mind the mom and pop shops that really drive this industry, like providing a real solution for them that isn't just what their president thinks is really good or their procurement officer, but it's everybody in their field of their chain of command can understand. Um, I think we need to provide better information, be much more transparent and create networks. My personal opinion, I guess I'm putting my journalism side on, when I think about the stories we cover and the trends, you always hear about secession planning and construction because the boomers are starting to retire, you know, here in, uh, in North America. So the next leadership tier, the guys that are our, our age, your age, my age, they're the ones kind of ripe for the innovation or at least to entertain it. That's what the stories indicate. That's what the industry tells us. That's what our customers tell us. And I think that's what helps it because you're right. The big players, especially in our jurisdiction here, they're always going to be well monetized, well capitalized for any time. They can afford to send two of their employees to get staffed up and learn about a new tech or a new software. But how does a mom and pop shop that's one to 20, they don't really have an HR department, you know, uh, to, to institute change or to help people. And I think that's what I'm hearing from folks. It's like make it accessible and make it keep it in context whatever industry or change you're bringing into the industry keep it in context of what that company does or what that specific sector does like i think back to that podcast we were talking about noah dolgoy when i was talking to him he's uh, the head of tread they created this app for basically the material delivery side of construction noah admitted fully he when he he first came into the industry he's like i'm going to show you how it's all done better you know what I mean? Here's the silver bullet. This is how it's done. And they realize a couple of years in, it's like wrong approach. Yeah. We, it's not about us coming in and blowing it up. We need to understand how it works better and nudge it along to efficiency. Yeah. yeah. Right? It, 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 it seems to be driven a lot by, uh, you know, yeah. especially when you get come into the family business scenario that you've got mm-hmm. this younger generation coming through and they're frustrated. They, they, they can't understand. They, they scratch their head and can't understand why we're using old processes. Why are we using paper-based systems here? Why are we collecting a lot of, these, uh, a lot of this information, key information, manually? Where's the technology? Um, and I think a lot of it's been driven by that sort of younger generation that are now coming through who are demanding a better way to do things. 
And that's where mm-hmm. I feel that the opportunity lies. And I, I do feel a lot of them problems will be solved by industry. I really, really do. I think a lot, a lot of it will come through. And I don't just say that coming from a point of someone coming mm-hmm. from industry. I really, right. do, I really do believe that, you know, the, the real innovation is going to be solved by the industry. Yeah, I think so. I think even what we're doing right now, not to be tooting our own horns, like the meeting of the pods, as I'm calling this, like our yeah. podcast meeting like this. Like this is some, it could be a bit of intel that maybe one of the older leaders hears and goes, wow, I didn't think about that. You know, I'm not even talking about the name dropping of our companies, but just what we're discussing. I think that's part of the conversation too, right? Just providing better information uh, to folks, you know, because the younger generation is hungry. There is probably a cohort that just likes to do things the way their dad did them, the way their granddad did them. It's like, hey, our company's been around 70 years. This is how we do it. Yeah. I think those will eventually change because they won't have a choice to compete. It's coming. It's, it's here already. We're starting to see it just in the few months. Like I think about my podcast. It's not intentional. My podcast, our podcast. Like uh, a lot of the people we've been talking to are a lot of the startups and construction that have realized it's their moments now too. Mm-hmm. They kind of talk to the smaller firms and say, look, we have a better way for you to do things. Maybe yeah. now's the time because there's a reset opportunity. Yeah, and I mean the the way the way we talk about that is, you know, we have an easier way, and the way you do things, there's nothing wrong with that. Your company's been operating for fifty years. Who am I to come in here and tell you that what you're doing is wrong? It ain't wrong. It's absolutely yeah. right. You're yeah. in my world. We automate. We digitize the whole purchase order, delivery to job site, invoicing. Like they do this today, but we. Mm-hmm place a piece of technology in that exact process. We don't change the process. We just put a piece of technology in that line, if you want to call it, mm-hmm. and speed that line up uh, yeah. that and, and create efficiency within that line and stop any errors creating into that line. And that's it. I, I feel, you know, just be, if we look at, look at them processes and we really um, examine them, and that's why I think industry is so important because they understand. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's where the wins will be. I think people started to jump out from industry and started to really look at these problems um there's going to be some some change there really is going to be some some change coming but good change yeah well this is the thing it's one of the oldest industries in the world right yeah our industry is the one that's helped build the environment that we enjoy now and uh, like i tell my new staff when i hire a new staff no one's most people aren't born to say look i'm going to be a construction journalist Right, so when I'm trying to convince them during their orientation about how important what they do is, mm-hmm. it's like, look, from the moment you wake up and you swing your feet off your bed and flick that light switch, construction's touched your life four different ways. So it's been around for a while, and it can be done still the same way, the way it is now, but it can be done better. You know, uh, the evidence is there, and we can't look always at the big players and say, well, look how the big players, look how a PCL or a Graham or an Ellis Don in our jurisdictions, look how. Look how great they are with their innovation. There are some smaller to medium-sized firms that are really kind of gained a competitive edge over the last couple of years, even before COVID, because they've realized, I need to invest in some innovation of some kind or listen to that guy who made that pitch to me and see how I can customize what he's saying. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's try and wrap this up, Vince, because you've been very, very kind with your, with your time. Um, oh, no worries. How do you see this playing out? I mean, what, how do you see the next sort of 12 to 18 months playing out for this industry? Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, for us, maybe any jurisdiction, it's what happens with the second wave, right, with the industries. Uh, do, the, do the same type of shutdowns happen? 
uh, for us because we're in the two markets with the U.S. and Canada. The U.S. essentially stayed open, kept humming throughout it all. And here we saw a bit of a shutdown. And you have to wonder, when is that going to be? So how is it going to play out? Is government, depending on how bad the second wave is in the fall, because everybody's been afraid of the fall and winter. Okay, there isn't a lot of construction that happens during winter. Um, what happens in the spring? If we're still in the same situation and the numbers aren't better, you know, are there going to be additional restrictions on work sites? I think, I feel like the governments want to leave that as a last resort because the work sites haven't been the problem. Construction hasn't been a problem, right? So uh, I sit, and when I think of the innovation, I think we're going to see more of it. I really feel that this is the moment that both the people that create innovation and the people that should be welcoming it are entering the conversation more now than ever before. So I think if we were to talk a year from now, Kieran, like I, I got a feeling there will be studies done that will show that a lot of company, a lot of companies, maybe four out of 10, 40% of the industry decided to undertake some kind of reset or change. Because we have a lot of discussion here about supply chains being reset, looking more domestic, building more local because of the restrictions of COVID. Well, that has a construction, you know what I mean? Domino effect. Yeah. You know? So even if a little bit of supply chain change happens, that is immediate innovation in a way resulting in some sort of innovation for the industry. Yeah. Well, it will be, it will be good to check in in 12 or 18 months time and see what local innovations are going on there. And hopefully we can share that. And um, so others can learn, I suppose, from them experiences um, mm -hmm. How can people learn more about you, Vince, the podcast, and the Daily Commercial News? Sure. Uh, the Daily Commercial News, find us on the web. Uh, at, uh, you can either type in dcnonl.com, and it'll take you to our paper. You can also find the Journal of Commerce at joconl.com. Uh, there's a podcast tab on our, uh, on our homepages, and that's where you can find the construction record. You can also find the construction record on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and Libsyn, our podcast provider. And you can also listen to it off our website as well. And we're on Instagram as well, so we share a lot of uh, information about our um, podcast episodes there. Yeah. So and how about for my listeners, as far as live costs, how can they learn more about it? Yeah, we're livecost.com. Mm -hmm. We host all the podcasts on the website, so just jump onto livecost.com and uh, go to our podcast and you'll find a bunch of stuff going on there. So we, we don't do any sort of, you know, tailored content where we just stick to like construction technology and that's it. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, health and safety, that's it. We literally just go across the board. If it's construction and it's interesting, it goes on. Um, that's essentially our sort of view of the podcast. So yeah, you just jump on to livecut.com, see it all there. And mm -hmm. it's the same usual stuff over LinkedIn and uh Mm -hmm. Instagram and uh, Facebook and all that type of stuff is just search like yeah. com. All the tools in the toolbox to use the metaphor, right? Yeah, that, yeah. that we're all using, right? Yeah. So. Oh, okay, let's wrap it up. Vince, thank you very much. No, thank you very much, Kieran. That was awesome. Really enjoyed that. And uh, good luck with everything. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Vince.